Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We are also going to be talking about A Quiet Place 2, the new movie that came out recently. Dylan and I saw it in theaters. And we're going to talk about our experience watching that film. Some news, A Quiet Place has already got a new film coming out. Not necessarily A Quiet Place Part 3, which is weird, but they're greenlighting a spinoff to be directed by Jeff Nichols. And that is currently scheduled for, I think, March of 2023. Again, it is a spinoff, not a follow-up to A Quiet Place 2. But as we'll talk about in the box office breakdown, I'm sure we will be getting a part three very soon yes indeed i didn't know it was a spinoff i thought it was a quiet place part three yeah there was some confusion about that and i kept seeing as the articles kept coming out they kept clarifying this is not the follow-up this is not a new mainline sequel it is a spinoff which again i'm wondering why they're doing a spinoff i feel like i don't know better to keep it contained yeah this family and just keep it with the story there's a risk of us getting fatigued from this world or seeing these different situations with these monsters play out and then it's less impactful if we see that in the third film mm-hmm. so i'm not entirely sure why they're doing this i don't know how i feel about it but hopefully it'll be it'll be good and hopefully it won't take away from a part three that's also my worry what if this spinoff comes out it doesn't do well and then they're like oh people are tired of this let's not do a part three yeah that would be my big fear yeah do you there's no word on if john krasinski is going to direct part three but do you think he will do you think he'll come back because he almost didn't come back for part two even right exactly and so he wrote and directed part two Mm -hmm. uh he directed part one and he co-wrote part one so He still certainly will have to be involved somehow, right? At least in a producer capacity. Yeah, definitely. But in terms of him being the full creative mastermind, I hope he will come back. I really do. But given that he's already done two films with it, it seems like this spinoff, maybe him maybe testing the waters and seeing, okay, if I'm not a part of it, if I'm not the main part of it, will people still come and see it? So maybe he's trying to find a way to limit his role for part three. I hope that he still at least co-writes it, something like that. But I also would love for him to round out the trilogy, direct it himself, because I think his direction is really good. I mean, we can talk about that in the review, but I mean, my man is a straight up phenomenal horror slash thriller director. So I hope he Mm -hmm. continues with it. In our in our notes, you put John Krasinski. No, I don't believe it. <laughs> you put John Krasinski. <laughs> anyway, a cr- yeah. 
a Cruella sequel has been announced and Emma Stone is uh, returning, I assume. So I guess if you're a fan of the Cruella movie they just made, you need another one. I didn't see it. Neither did I. But my, okay. <laughs> one of my friends from Firehouse did, and he apparently enjoyed it. So there hey. are people that are fond of it. There you go. Go see it if you want to see it. I don't know if we'll ever get around to it. Probably um, not. But I mean, the one thing that would compel me to do it is Emma Stone. I mean, she's amazing. So mm-hmm. that could get me to do it, but I ain't paying no $30 on Premier Access Disney Plus. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> on top of the subscription. Come on. Anyway, we have our box office breakdown for last weekend. In first place, to our surprise and chagrin, the Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, with $24 million, which is a lot more than we thought it would make. We thought it would make around $9 million, right? No, I was saying like $15 million, somewhere around there. Um, I think Corella was what we were saying would be around $9 million. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, we did think it would do fairly well and get into second place. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we are surprised to see that it unseated A Quiet Place 2 which came in at second place with 19 million. This is far off from your prediction, Dylan. You were saying it was going to yeah. stick around past 30 million. I didn't think it would have a 60% drop. My God. Yeah, definitely. We're seeing this. I wonder if it's going to be a trend that continues in the post-pandemic era, but we are seeing these really pronounced drops in the second weekend and then a more stable third and fourth weekend. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if that continues with The Quiet Place 2, but... Yeah, a 60% drop, because you always expect around a 50%, but a 60% is quite significant. Yeah, quite steep. So still making money, still doing well for itself, uh, but a little more of a drop than we anticipated. Yep. And we sit in third place, I think already, is Cruella with 11 million. That's a 47% drop. It's a little, it made a little more than we thought it would. We were guessing around the 8 million range. So Cruella's still hanging on, still making money. And they're going to get a sequel because he's making money. You know, when you make money, you have a higher chance of getting a sequel. Yep. Spirit Untamed, which is a sequel to a 2002 film that I apparently made money, but not enough to give it an immediate sequel. That comes from DreamWorks and it got 6.2 million in its opening weekend. Have you heard of Spirit Untamed, Dylan? No, but I've heard of Spirit. (laughs) I can't believe they made a sequel to Spirit. That's crazy. I didn't even hear about it until now. (laughs) No, the marketing was not up to par on that one. I mean, clearly it only made 6.2 million. Mm. Crazy. After that was Ray and the Last Dragon still holding on with 1.3 million. After that, Wrath of Man, 1.2 million. Spiral, the first of the movies to dip below a million on our top few list. It has made 21 million total domestic, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible, so, horrible. Probably horrible not going to get a sequel, no. or at least not one for a while. Demon Slayer came in under 1 million, but that's also having an impressive hold. And rounding out our top nine is going to be Godzilla vs. Kong. It got around 463,000, which puts its domestic total at 99.1 million. It's so close to passing the century mark. I can think it, it can though. get there. I think it can. It's so close, though. But I don't think it's going to get there next week. And it's mm. possible that A Quiet Place 2 
it's around 80 million right now. It's, I think, just a bit above that. It's possible that A Quiet Place 2, maybe not next week, but surely thereafter, will cross the century mark before Godzilla vs. Kong. But it's I like still a little think, race. Yeah, it is a little race, but I still think Godzilla vs. Kong will get past the 100 million mark. I hope so. I want those movies to make money so we can get more sequels. I have fun watching those monsters clash into each other. I know. It'd be really surprising if they didn't follow that one up. Because clearly, people are... <laughs> the quality of the story of getting the monsters together doesn't matter as much doesn't as... Doesn't matter at all. It looking good when they do start fighting. Yep. So hopefully they'll take that and run with it. Hopefully. Now we have some box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. The first major movie to come out this weekend is... In the Heights, which are we going to go see them in theaters, Ryan? I certainly will. I'll probably, I'll have to <laughs> see if my mom wants to go see it. Oh, Musicals yeah. are always hit and miss with her. Been missed a lot recently. She didn't want to go see Cats with me, which I thought was funny. I mean, we knew it was going to be a bad movie, but I thought it'd be funny to take her to see it because <laughs> it's <laughs> another bad musical. And she's still scarred from watching Into the Woods. <laughs> from like 2014 or something she terrible doesn't like movie. she awesome. doesn't like Meryl Streep rapping no the whole wow. thing was just terrible and that was the first experience with James Corden that we ever got we should have known oh. <laughs> that's wrong. a lot of James Corden slander on our podcast recently it's well he has it coming he has it coming <laughs> but In the Heights is supposed to be good comes from Lin-Manuel Miranda I am so excited for it so I can maybe convince her to go see it and then I mean depending on how much I love it, which hopefully I will. I really, really hope I love it. I will be down to see it multiple times. I really so, hope I love it too. Yeah. It looks really good. And I love musicals. And I haven't seen a good musical in theaters in so long. It's been so it. long. It's such a summer event to come back into the theaters. So mm -hmm. I hope that pulls a lot of people into it. Because The Quiet Place too. I mean, families aren't necessarily going to go see that. But In the Heights could be that movie that draws a bunch of families in there every different sort of audience member so i'm hoping that it makes a lot of money i'm predicting 35 million i'm saying above 35 million i wanted to say 40 million but i'm like let me temper my expectations mm -hmm. let me not go too crazy but i think it legitimately could crack 40 million mm -hmm. in its opening and i really hope it does i'll take the over and say 40 million okay so yeah i'm you. gonna do it i'm gonna say it'll make at least 40 million. I'm hoping. I think it will. Anyway, after In the Heights, we have this weekend Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway, <laughs> which is also James Corden. James Corden. <laughs> uh, I don't want this to make money. I really, I don't know. I, I don't like the idea of this sort of <laughs> live action animation with, with real people, but they try to make the animation look realistic. I don't know. I'm not a fan of that. Take your bias out of it. What do you think it'll get in its opening? You put 15 on the script, which I think is too much. I'm going to go with 11 at the most. 11 at the most. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's got it's got In the Heights, Conjuring, and A Quiet Place to go up against. And it's, it's Peter Rabbit. Like, the only people that are going to go see <laughs> Peter Rabbit 2, the second one, are people who like the first one and people who have kids that are driving them crazy. And that's it. True. I put around 15 million just because we've been getting surprised a lot lately. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those that certainly I would never go see. Don't care about it too much. But the first one, 
evidenced by there being a second one. The first one made enough money. So they, and they've also been pushing it back for so long because they wanted it to be in theaters. Mm-hmm. So maybe they know the audience better than we do and they're thinking it'll be. They got to pick up their sleeve. Yeah, they know maybe. James Corden's putting in the performance <laughs> of a lifetime here as, as Peter Abbott. Golden Globe nominee. James Corden. James Corden. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I put around 50 million. I wouldn't be surprised if it did come below that, and I'd be absolutely fine with it coming below that. But I think it'll probably, to our surprise, there will be people who go out and see it uh, mm-hmm. instead of In the Heights, which is really quite blasphemous. But as for our third place, well, I mean, I suppose you, if you're giving it 11 million, you think that may not mm-hmm. come in second place. But I'm expecting it to go In the Heights number one. Uh, Peter Rabbit number two and then in third place there could be uh, you would expect to see The Conjuring there since it's number one right now mm-hmm. but if A Quiet Place 2 has a really solid hold mm-hmm. it could cling on to the third place spot and just barely beat out The Conjuring mm-hmm. uh, and since again I mean the box office is crazy lately you never know what can happen I'm going to go with that prediction I'm going to say there's going to be a surprise stronghold for A Quiet Place th- yeah. Part 2, and it's going to beat out Conjuring 3. I 100%, 100% agree, because it's they're both really close right now, because A Quiet Place 2 is at 19.5, and The Conjuring's at 24, and if The Conjuring has a big dip like A Quiet Place did this weekend for its second weekend, then it's going to go a lot farther below than A Quiet Place 2 will have for its, its third week stronghold, which we've seen so far in the COVID era. And then I think after that will be The Conjuring and then Cruella. That's my prediction. And I don't know where Peter Rabbit falls in there because if it gets 11 million, it will probably be between a quiet or between The Conjuring and Cruella. But if it gets 15, it could be second place. So Peter Rabbit will be just shoved in there somewhere for mine that I can't predict. Gotcha. All right, then we will have to see. It's getting busier and busier. Our box office predictions makes me happy it's finally coming into full swing the summer movie season it's I'm becoming a challenge to... i know i know and this is it'll be a soft update we won't go too deep into it but just to give you an update on your movie f9 how it's mm. doing overseas yeah it recently crossed 250 million so Hell yeah quarter of the way to the billion dollar club probably not gonna enter the billion dollar club no but it still will have to see a lot of European markets. It hasn't opened in and of course hasn't Domestic. opened in America yet. So we'll keep a lookout on that film and see also, if it continues to, to grow some money. Did you see they're going to premiere F9 at Cannes? <laughs> I did. I was like, why? <laughs> the mystery blockbuster. What I know they did that stuff. How sad. Interesting. Crazy. I feel like they could have. Why isn't it Dune or something? Maybe it's too early, but. Yeah, I think they're not done with it yet, but that would have been cool. It could have been way better blockbusters if that's what they're going to do. Have like a big blockbuster film as part of their yeah. lineup. I don't know why F9 was picked. But... Yeah, it's pretty bad <laughs> from what I hear. Oh, well. I mean, I want to see The Rock go into space as much as anyone else does. Or Vin Diesel go into space as much as anyone else does. But Do they actually go into space? That's what I've, that's what I've seen in the trailer. They have the, <laughs> the spacesuits on and they're shooting up in the rocket. That's absurd. In, in a car. <laughs> I know about the magnet cars. I've seen that in the trailer. But that, I'm not the, uh, go to space. 
the director's son came up with. He was like, magnet plane. And the director's like, my God, that's genius. We have to incorporate this. <laughs> it's kind of funny. They're openly admitting that their children came up with the ideas for the... That's how outlandish it's getting. I feel like I feel like they should either keep it a little more contained to just like car right, street racing or just go as crazy as possible and just have kids come up with everything. Just the craziest things they could imagine. Because going yeah. to space is a crazy idea, but it seems like they're still really keeping it contained to like a car going to space, which I think is kind of stupid. If they were just like, forget the cars, we're going to take Vin Diesel, put him in a rocket and shoot him up into space for some reason. I'd be in, I'd be down for it. But putting them in a car is kind of stupid. It's like Elon Musk. (laughs) I'm excited for the Sharknado Fast and Furious crossover. For F11, whenever they do that, can't mm-hmm. wait. That'd can't be brilliant. wait. All right, now it's time for our main topic of discussion, which will be A Quiet Place 2. This will be a spoiler-filled review, so if you have not seen A Quiet Place 2, pause the show, go watch A Quiet Place 2, and then come back. Indeed. All right, so as I mentioned before, we saw it in theaters because A Quiet Place 2 is only in theaters, Ooh. at least for the first 45 days of its release and then it goes to paramount plus and this film as we mentioned before written and directed by john krasinski not to be confused with krasinski and it stars his wife emily blunt millicent simmons noah Joop, killian murphy and then also john krasinski in the <laughs> opening um he was able to put himself back in there and just uh we can start with the opening impressions and then we can talk about that initial prologue where Krasinski comes back, mm-hmm. but just your opening, your first thoughts about it. Cause we didn't talk too much about it after the yeah. film ended. So I'm curious to see what your takeaways were. It was not my favorite, not your favorite, Ooh. not my favorite. I did not. I thought the way John Krasinski directed the film was really well done. It was really uh, detail-oriented, very thought out, and it was a a good way to sort of deliver a good-looking thriller. But I thought his writing was subpar, like below average. Really? I did not think it was written well story-wise. I did not think the dialogue was very good, even though there's not much of it. I'm not the biggest fan of this movie very much. What are your initial thoughts, Ryan? My thoughts are somewhat similar to yours. I didn't rewatch A Quiet Place, the first one before this. Mm -hmm. So I can't necessarily compare it to that. But I do believe that this does not measure up Mm -hmm. to what I have in my head as my experience watching the first one. Yeah. As you mentioned, I mean, this film looks beautiful. And from a filmmaking Mm -hmm. standpoint, really well done. So it was always engaging for sure. But... A part of me was hoping for more and it did not deliver on all fronts. Mm-hmm. So slightly disappointed in it. I still think it's a good film. It was still really solid. A lot of moments did work, but sadly hearing that it was so great and measured up going into it, I was like, okay, okay, okay. But I was disappointed in a way, not too much, but still didn't meet my expectations 
Yeah. Now let's get started with that very first <clears throat> prologue that you have in the beginning where you have day one. There are no monsters yet. John Krasinski is walking around the town doing his thing. And then he goes to a, a softball game or baseball game, Little League, and watches his son play. And then you have that big spaceship sort of thing crash, which is a little bit of world building, which I think is interesting. And then all hell breaks loose. What did you think of that sort of day one prologue? I really liked it. I thought it was interesting to get a glimpse of the initial, the first fallout of the monsters arriving and everyone seeing them for the first time and they have to all of a sudden survive. I thought that was really interesting. And it provided a lot of solid moments for Krasinski to show off his directing. There was a beautiful one take in there. The moments, I mean, it was like, um, children and men where we're in that car mm-hmm. and we're panning around seeing what's going on yeah. and then that bus comes toward us in the car yeah, and we have cool. to throw it in reverse and then you see the claw come out of the driver side window of mm-hmm. the bus all that was really impeccable really engaging so I enjoyed that stuff I did have a gripe for me because we went to go see it with our group of friends so Mason was there and him and I both were wondering how everyone sees the thing in the sky coming down and then they all just calmly and orderly go back to their cars and in the baseball match and they're driving away so it's weird that they all recognize hey that's weird something we should react to but and they all did it in a very disciplined manner no one was really urgently trying to escape and then i also felt during certain moments like when they're in the bar and hiding they seem to already be clued into the fact that it's sound that they're alerted to, which in all that mayhem, I don't know. I mean, it's possible, but I don't know if they'd already come to that initial conclusion of, hey, I need to be quiet here because that is what they're, that's what's cluing them into where I am and that's what's getting me killed. I feel like people would still be in runaway mode. Like that's our just initial reaction. I don't think, especially when seeing aliens, like bunkering down and, making sure to be silent is a reaction people would have very quickly. So those two moments I was like, eh, but overall it was a really exciting opening to the film Mm -hmm. and it made us see more of John Krasinski. So happy about that. I I would like to say first off to, to deal with your gripes real quick, because I really like this opening scene. Uh, the big alien ship crashing it's way in the distance uh i could see where that's like a crazy thing but people could think it's a plane you know it's just like an emergency situation you probably shouldn't be on the baseball field but it's not super urgent at the moment because of how far away it is so i could see where people would just sort of walk away and try and be calm about it because that's the best thing to do i can understand that i don't believe it i know people i don't believe it (laughs) now now the high the quiet thing when you're hiding from something, you don't make noise. Now I get like people would be in the runaway kind of mode, but if you're if you're seeing people hiding and you start hiding with them, you don't make noise, no matter what it is. So like I don't think it's a matter of like, oh, we know not to make noise because that's what's attracting these things. It's like this thing is hunting for us. It can't see us. We better make sure it can't hear us too. Cause that's just how you like if it was a person, you would do the same thing. Like if it was a person with a gun and you were going to hide, you would not make noise either. Like that's just how that works. And sure, there are plenty of again, when 
my only thing with that would be though, but people would still be in the running phase. Like, well, there were there were plenty of people who were running. still running, but the people in the bar were hiding. Like it's just a different group of people that chose to hide instead of run. I guess, but then even then, if you're hiding, you're not going to hide in a brand like an open bar area. Like you would have gone and hid behind the bar, or hide in the back room somewhere. Like I mean, they were the under the tables. The idea is to conceal themselves. But again, then that's implying that they know that they can't see them clearly. Because, I mean, you're hiding on their table. is not going to do nothing. But it's not in the bar. It's outside the bar. Well, I know. But they could just come into the bar and then immediately see them. That's what I'm saying. So Not if it doesn't know you're in there. I mean, they, it's pretty much like an animal. Like, if you hide and you don't make noise, it won't notice if you're there or not. Like, you know that about any animal. What? Many animals can detect you through either scent through or they a wall can't see you. not through a wall but i'm saying if you're trying to hide yourself going into a building okay that's step one but then hide yourself more in case they come into the building we don't hide in the middle of a classroom if there's a school shooter we go into a back room or hide in the corner or do something that takes us out of the line of sight in case they do enter the building okay I we're think, getting i think you're getting a little too nitpicky this. i think you're getting too nitpicky i'm just it. saying well i don't know i mean it took me out of it because I was like, how did they know that? But I also think the implication there was that they were catching on to it. Like, this was their first recognition of, okay, sound plays a role. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yes, we dug too deep into that. Continue with your Anyway, I really liked the opening scene because when he first walks into that baseball diamond area, like, and the sound just sort of starts to overwhelm the theater because it's quiet for the most part up until that point. This whole town is there. You can hear every single sound because you're thinking, geez, which sound like because, you know, this is day one. They're going to start coming somewhere like we are aware of that. We know it's going to happen. And John Krasinski knows that we know that's going to happen. And so he makes sure we hear every single sound that's going on. So it's like, which sounds the loudest? Which sound are they going to react to? And it's something they do later in the movie as well when they're on the island and Killian Murphy sees the boat. And they're coming back and all these people are moving around and doing stuff and he's trying to stop them. And you're like, oh, there's so many sounds going on right now. Which one is going to attract the monster? It's not done as well in that one. But in the beginning, it's great. The way you can just hear everything. And you're like, like the crack of the bat as the sun is like hitting the balls and the sound of him like throwing it and like catching it in the glove. You just hear everything. It's great. Very well done. I love the opening. And then it just gets real bad. So you talk me through the your biggest gripes since it wasn't in the opening. You love that part. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, particularly the writing, I'm interested to see what your concerns well, were with that. My problem is as soon as they leave the farm, as soon as they leave the farm, it is just the last of us. It is just the last of us. It is like copy and pasted the last of us, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I, like It's too much like. The Last uh, of Us. Uh, how so? In what way? Them traveling through a desolate world and a a good a good girl two-thirds, and a father figure get together. It is a go good two thirds. Well, it's not just that. It is a girl who can stop the monsters, who has the power to stop the monsters, and a strange, reluctant man who journeys with her to help stop the monsters. That is literally The Last of Us. Not just that, but visually, it looks just like The Last of Us. It looks just like it. there's no like. I guess you can't like go crazy far away from apocalypse world like there is a defined way a world would look like in an apocalyptic situation but ah it looks just like the last of us it's crazy i disagree i don't think the fact that 
just because she has like a key to the issue and the fact that she's paired up with a reluctant father figure i mean it, they're in different ways though like i mean i can see there's similarities and maybe he was drawing from that or maybe that's just a common trope that we're drawing from i'm pretty sure krasinski i mean doesn't he have daughters or something like that i guess so it would make sense that he would place another father figure in there to pair up with the daughter and that it's very obvious conflict to have the father figure be reluctant to do this because then otherwise i mean there's no tension or conflict between them so that's why he's reluctant and in the backstory of his family getting killed makes sense in an apocalypse world we've seen many stories in an apocalypse where somebody's family is offed and they become jaded and they see the worst in people and then through being with other people again they learn to see the good in humanity and in the world and want to fight for it i mean these are common things that yes the last yeah, does, yeah. but i think they were also doing here and even if that is the case even if i'll concede that it is similar even like too similar i don't know if that's a bad thing i mean the last of us is good mm. so drawing on what they did well in that story in that narrative does is that really a weakness for this one yes or, or are you just saying it's done worse no it's just well yes yes it is done worse because he really limits himself with the time how long it takes to get this movie through it's only an hour and 40 minutes or so and so there's not enough time to develop the relationship between uh the girl and the killian murphy's character there's like just not enough time to do that and i it's just done worse and he's it is it even though you don't think it is but it is just a copy of it very very close copy of it and it's not done as well and that's what makes it so hard to watch if, if like if the last of us didn't exist it would be a more palatable thing to watch because like oh look at that two people who wouldn't you know hang out together in an apocalypse or going on a journey to save the world that's kind of interesting but because the last of us exists and because the last of us did it so well so amazingly perfect it is hard to watch john krasinski do it again almost word for word but do it slightly worse and by slightly i mean severely worse <laughs> gotcha. it's bad um i mean i think i can agree with the argument that it's underdeveloped and partially that's because it's due to the limited runtime how many hours did you have with joel and ellie versus this film which is split between those two characters and then what's going on with emily blunt's character in the furnace mill place whatever that was mm -hmm. that they were stationed at yeah um so i mean yeah i can see that i don't know if that's i don't know for me that wasn't a thing that i was considering a fault of the film but that seems like that really grinded your gears it really grinded my gears um, okay, anything else then besides that relationship pairing that was too reminiscent of another work that did it better? It just sort of felt like it was half a movie, which might have to do with the this limiting runtime, but it just feels like nothing was developed enough. Like it should have been developed more. Did you feel that way in the first one? Like, are you no. mentioning the abrupt ending? No, 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 not at all. The first movie is very self-contained. It's very like it's just these five people. There's no other characters. 
and well four i guess the kid dies in the beginning it's just these four people and they're just trying to survive in this apocalyptic world and you're learning about them as a family and then watching them get hunted by these monsters and that's all you need and that's all he gives you and that's perfect but in this one you've got them going on a journey all the way to this island that you just finding out about and you've got these marina people who are just not expanded on at all they're just there and then like 10 minutes later they're not and it's like very strange i know that Killian Murphy has a moment in the beginning where he talks about how like you don't know what people have become. You haven't seen what who they are and how horrible they are. And the Marina people are kind of like are are sort of like like we're seeing what people have become, but they're not in it enough. And we also don't know anything about what they're trying to do. Like, are they trying to eat the people? Are they trying to just kidnap them? Like, what are they doing? I mean, whatever it is, it clearly doesn't seem good. Yeah, of course, but I just don't know anything about them, and they seem uh, almost irrelevant to the story. Like it's just like it's giving them another obstacle to get past without adding anything to the story, which seems. Mm, I don't uh, think that's true. I think, of course, it's included in there to be an obstacle, but it is also trying to expand the world a bit because, as you mentioned, until now we've only been with our core family, mm-hmm. and then that one old dude in the very beginning of a quiet place that got the kid killed Mm -hmm. as he screamed so we haven't seen other communities of people yet and so seeing that gives us a glimpse of okay these are how other people are living and it's clearly not (laughs) in the same way that our people were living on a farm and they had a somewhat normal life but Mm -hmm. these people i mean really seem like scavengers they look like how you envision people would be in an apocalypse Mm -hmm. and it also is reinforcing what gillian murphy said about there are other people out there that are terrible and you can't trust them these are those people that's proving his point and so on those levels the fact that it gives us a broader glimpse of the world it is tying into his character because it's justification for his worldview essentially and then it is another obstacle that they have to overcome on those three fronts i think it, it does have a purpose in the story and so i was fine with it so but the problem I have is that it's like it's a half step into opening up the world. It's like you're teasing what the world can be without really diving into it, without really diving into the details and making it like symbolic of anything. It's just crazy people on a marina who are an obstacle. There's no deep diving into who they are, what they are, what they're doing, what their purpose is. They're just crazy people. And that's it. And well, I it's think just, that's it's not the... enough. I think it serves its purpose because we're with, I mean, as you mentioned, it's a contained story. We're following our central crew. So we don't need to get too much into the deep dive of the other people. Like we already instinctually know what they are. I mean, they're likely they're being cannibals or they're going to do something despicable to the girl. Either way. I mean, we know that that's how, especially when things break down in the world, that's how some people react they become the worst versions of themselves that they could be we don't need to deep dive too much into well how did they get there what was their story that made them that way we can already fill in the gaps essentially all we need to know is where they are right now that they are presenting themselves as an obstacle to us or i mean just enemies to the central characters and so they are something that needs to get overcome i think it's fine just leaving it at that Um, I'll ask you, they go to that island 
mm-hmm. that you mentioned. And they see this community of people living entirely normally. They're not being quiet at all. And they're doing that because aliens, they can't swim. So they're protected on this little island. That mm-hmm. also was something that I thought was a plus because we're seeing a bit more of the world. We're seeing how other people are living. There are other communities. Did you like that? Or did you also think that was giving us a little bit, but not enough to be interesting? I think it was a neat concept. And I think it gave us more than the Marina people, that whole idea. Cause you have the, the one character who has that expositional paragraph where he explains how they got to the Island and why it works and all that stuff. But it's still not enough. It's like, they're on the island for like a total of like six minutes before all hell breaks. It's like if you like look at the actual screen time of them on the island, it's not a lot with that community. Like we don't know anybody on the community. We don't care about anybody. They're just people who just get killed. Like there's no care whatsoever. And it's just like, why? It's just another another obstacle. It's just pushing them further and further and further without any stakes, which kind of makes me sad. The only stakes is their own lives because they're the only, they're the only characters I care about, which makes me sad. Like, I wish I cared more about the people who were dying, but I don't. Right. Gotcha. Any other major elements of the writing that you were not vibing with? One of the big ones was in the first movie, they the writers came up with clear rules for this world for the monsters for the people who are living in this world it's clear defined rules and the sequel they took some of those rules and they just threw them away they're just gone in 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 the first movie one of the big rules is that you just you just can't talk like you shouldn't talk you shouldn't make noises because they'll hear you they'll hear you from far away and it seems like the range that the monsters can hear you has shortened to compensate for characters who don't know sign language like Killian Murphy, because now he can whisper. And that seems like, I don't know, just like, just like cheating your way through it to make it a little bit easier as a writer. So you can have him say dialogue and stuff and give him dialogue. And another thing is that the monsters seem significantly slower than they were in the first movie. They seem just a little bit like, like I feel like they were moving a lot faster in the first movie that might be a little nitpicky but it just seems like they changed it a bit right a little nitpicky but i can see what you mean with the first one um i don't remember too much was there ever a moment in the first one where they were able to talk i mean they had to when they were at when they were at the waterfall because the water was louder and that made sense i see gotcha yeah then i can see that one thing that I thought or that I wanted to touch on was the way that Krasinski does use some of those established rules to create those dramatic situations that I thought were really engaging. Mm-hmm. Like when it, the action is popping off, I always thought those were great moments in the film. For instance, the moment when Noah Joop's character is the kid, the boy, he gets mm-hmm. locked in that containment tube or whatever it is that they go into to like block out the sound and hide from the the monsters Mm -hmm. i thought well i thought it was very contrived the way we got to that situation him going outside for no reason with an injured foot and i don't even know how he got up that ladder yeah you severely injured yeah i was was so confused he does not have the the ability to put weight on that leg so you can't climb up a ladder it's impossible unless he hops his way up which is also nearly impossible for a kid his age ridiculous 
So I thought that was dumb because there's no reason for him to go out. He's literally holding the baby and then he puts it back down to go explore for no mm-hmm. reason. That was kind of dumb. So that attracts, he like gets scared seeing the dead wife, carcass, whatever, brings one of the monsters to him. So then he has to run into that containment tube with the baby, but he doesn't throw the towel over the lock. Mm-hmm. That part, I was like, okay, we had set that up before with seeing them throw the towel over. Yeah. Set up that you lose oxygen in there because there's the candles and those will go out. And they had the timer to figure out exactly when the oxygen will go out so they didn't get trapped in there for too long. Mm-hmm. That part, I was like, that is smart. And then yeah. we also have the oxygen to the baby. We know, oh, snap, he's going to have to start using that and trading off with the baby. That the part baby? I, was, I thought was brilliant. Yeah. It was really tense. So things like that I thought were really good. On the train, I thought it was interesting the way he puts us, many times throughout the film, he'll put us in the perspective of the deaf girl. So mm-hmm. we now don't have the sound. And he did that for one moment that I thought was really effective where it just tracked over to reveal in the background out of, I think, the deaf field a monster lurking around because she had just made noise, got scared. And then now we see, oh, snap, in the background, it's coming. And Mm -hmm. we see it. She doesn't see it yet. And then, of course, she does see it. And she has to bring out the the hearing device and the speaker. Mm -hmm. And then something that we both thought was really dumb was Killian Murphy shoots the the alien Mm -hmm. from behind. He was pointing right at her. With it was like a shotgun too, uh, or something yeah. like that. He definitely would have taken her head off there. Yeah. And even if not, why would you risk shooting at it? Like you could. I don't know. That was just also really dumb. Just to be a cool movie moment of oh, the alien falls and we see Kelly Murphy behind him, as if we didn't all know that he was about to show up. Mm-hmm. I felt like it would have been more interesting had she been able to cock the rifle and shoot it herself, and then he's there and he shows up and it's. That situation where he was just about to arrive, but could have possibly not made it in time. And then that gives more gravity to the situation and makes their relationship more interesting. But instead, we sacrifice that for just a cool action movie moment that didn't make any sense. So that part, I was like, eh. Um, But then at the marina, I also thought it was really interesting the way they put that coat of jangly stuff on him. That was a really smart way. Like, that's how people would do stuff in the world. They, I mean, that's like the gun to your head, but it's your own hand holding the gun. And so if you make the movements, if you try to escape, you're the one getting killed. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. And then the way that he turned it around on the scavengers, you know, we had the Chekhov's dive from the beginning, the sign language, uh, which I was expecting when they were going to bring that up. And I thought it was done well in that moment. And then him throwing the coat of jangly stuff on them. And it was kind of brutal. Him still getting attached to it. Like the noose was still around him. So he's getting thrashed mm. around in the water as the aliens go into town on the dude. Yeah. So I thought that was also those moments I was fully invested. I was like, this is this is some great stuff, Krasinski. Mm-hmm. There was some parts with the thing where he's getting choked that I thought was kind of stupid. It was just too many shots of him with the knife in his hand, not doing anything about it. Right. Like I get like right, like immediately the immediate response is to go for the neck and try to help yourself. But he's got a knife in his hand and he's got a rope attached to him. 
and it was like a good eight, ten second worth of shots of just him holding it without cutting at all. And I'm like, it's too much. You you gotta have him at least show like a close up of him with the knife going to cut up. But that's that's also being nitpicky. I liked I like the idea of Nojut being locked in the containment too. Like they did set that up well, and it does it makes sense. And it's an interesting concept of him trying to like share with the baby or else they'll both die. Um, it was kind of silly that there were just oxygen takes there. Like they were just there. I asked that too. There was someone I was talking to. I don't know if it was Mason, but I was like, are they really just going to have oxygen tanks in the pharmacy a year and a half after the, and it was also well stocked too. the whole pharmacy. I was Mm -hmm. amazed. People would definitely have cleaned that out by now, but I mean, it's yeah, just there's uh-huh. like certain things that I liked about the first movie because it was so detail focused. Like when they're in the, in the very beginning, when they're in the convenience store, everything's gone except like chips because obviously it makes too much noise, like things like that. And there was like only one time where I saw something detailed like that in the movie. And that's when she's walking by the trains and it's all the heels that have been left behind mm-hmm. because either you can't run in them or they make too much noise as you do run. Right. And so that's interesting. But there's not too many other big like cool eye-catching details in the movie and i guess he's not really trying to focus on that but that's what i really appreciated about the first movie um i i thought the standoff with the scavenger of the pier is a cool concept like i like the idea i like the idea of him being covered in that jacket is a cool thing to add in there i just didn't like the follow-through with it it's just the thing i was not a fan of it's just it just seems too quick to get through something so interesting because that is genuinely interesting. These marina people who are like crazy, who do crazy things. It just seems like something that I really want to spend a little more time on. And it was just used for a cool action scene to cut in between the kid being locked in the in the thing and Emily Blunt blowing up the oxygen tank, which right. is also, I don't know, extra. What, the blowing up the oxygen tank? Yeah. And it bursting into flames? There's just... I, don't know, I guess I guess it makes sense. I was also wondering how is the the sprinkler system still functional? It's a very good question. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, yeah, some other <laughs> gonna speed run through some dumb things. We mentioned some of them already, but there are other things that I was thinking about during the film. One of which was the fact that they don't wear socks. Like they're completely barefoot, and we see progressively as they're traveling, the girl gets her feet more bloodied and messed up. Mm-hmm. Why are they not wearing socks or at least wearing those bandages on the bottom of their feet so they have some protection? Also, why are they not wearing shoes at all if Killian Murphy's character can wear shoes? Yeah, he also fine. had boots he had going over boots the gravel. <laughs> and was perfectly fine. So why could not? Why could they not wear boots as well? Ridiculous. Yeah, that was dumb. I thought the attack on the town... <laughs> you and me both left. At, he climbs over the cliff like out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, there's no path up. He just he had to climb his way up, which is kind of silly. Yeah, that was strange. And I also thought it was weird that he's making the most noise. I mean, someone's fiddling with a bucket, so maybe you can make that argument. But he's, he's screaming. At the top. He's yelling, saying, "Everyone, leave!" And then the alien runs right past him to attack the guy the in the man. bucket so it does seem silly i was wondering again the rules there of so did they attract the most sound is it particular sounds that piss them off the most like mm-hmm. why did that happen uh and then along those lines at the end 
when she makes a noise, they're in that radio station, she makes a noise, he, the alien, gets mad, attacks Killian Murphy, but doesn't kill him, doesn't maul him, just injures his leg, and then he's yeah. just sitting down. I'd imagine heavily breathing, things like that, but still not getting taken out. When we saw at the marina, I mean, the alien was like having a field day with the scavenger, just destroying, ripping them apart. So why are some aliens absolutely disintegrating some people mm-hmm. and other times just marking them once and then leaving that, them be? That is another question. It's like, what is the goal of the aliens? Because yeah, in the first movie, them. I thought they were eating the people. Like, I thought that's what it was. They hear a noise, they go and they eat the people. But in this one, they're just hitting them and knocking them around and just killing them for no reason. Which also, didn't in the first one, the alien kidnapped the kid, right? Like, he didn't do a drive-by slash his throat. Like, he took no, the No, he grabbed the kid, yeah. So then what was the purpose? Because they don't eat them. So he just took them to what? Kill them later on? Kill them for yeah. away? It like, seems like they... It seems like it was like they wrote this movie and they came up with cool aliens, but they did not define a strong reason why they're there. Because you don't have to explain it, but you should at least have a rule like, the, the aliens are here, they're doing this, and they kill the people for this reason. And, like, you don't have to explain that at all. But as long as you know it in your head while you're writing, you can stick to that convention. And it beca- it's, like, consistent between movies, within the movies, and it just makes sense. But it seems like they're they're just skipping around on the rules for dramatic moments. Like, like that end where he's, like, hovering over Killian Murphy he's about to kill him. And it's, like, stressful. She has to put the the headphone on the or the hearing aid on the microphone which she does in the most dramatic slap i've ever seen <laughs> which didn't have to be that dramatic right but i guess it was just so over the top and also time wasting like she it could just be like boom done it's there you're ready to go but it really she really took her time on that but it had to be a powerful climactic movie moment don't i guess so yeah, yeah about the ending where they're cross-cutting between the two kids, and they're both stepping up very dramatically, holding out the their speakers as they march towards one of the aliens. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that? I like the the cross-cutting. I think it's interesting. I like cinematic parallels. He did that a lot in this movie, like in the beginning when he's going he water to the park and then the water from the park. So, like, I think it's interesting. I think it's cool cinematically, but I think it was a little over the top. Just a little bit, just a little, like, it's too slow. Like, just shoot him. You have a gun, shoot him. <laughs> you're, you're taking your time too much. Yeah. I also felt that part of me was really into it because I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is the type of stuff that I want to see. I mean, it's a big cinematic moment. You got to love it. And mm-hmm. the other part of me was, it's getting a bit indulgent, much, a bit cheesy. Yeah. You can just go ahead and, I mean, have them shoot it. But yeah. I did like again they he had to do it in a way to keep it cohesive overall since he had characters split across two different places but then he was also trying to make it a character moment have it be a thematic parallel where both the kids are now stepping up and you see Kelly murphy and emily blunt they're both looking on in awe as the kids are like essentially having to grow up and take a take on this larger role in this twisted world Um, but they're they're doing it they're growing up so i like that part as well um but then again the abrupt ending which i mean we knew was coming they did it the first time Mm -hmm. based on the run time it seemed like they're gonna do it again 
but I actually liked it. Mason did not. He was not a fan of the abrupt ending, the cliffhanger. I mean, that's what they did in the first one, too. I know. And, like, I understand. Do you think they set up a third movie well? I'm interested to see where it goes now that they've clearly figured out, okay, this is the cure for these things. Mm -hmm. And we know that there are communities of people out there. Mm -hmm. So I it seems like the next step of part three is going to be them first of all, getting back together, but then going and finding one of these large communities to give this cure to. Um, but I'm like, that's what I'm interested in seeing, but I'm also worried that'll expand the world so much and take us into these different, I mean, we'll have less focus on the core characters, the family itself. And now we're weaving in these broader themes of, okay, how do we get the world back on track? Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, given the times we're in currently, maybe that would be an interesting thing to play around with in this apocalyptic landscape. So I, I'm interested to see where they're going to go with it. I kind of hope they do go that route and expand and focus on, okay, how do we get the world back to normal? Like, how do you come back from an apocalypse? How do you start that? I'm just hoping that it will still be as effective as what they did here. Because um, it'll be a balance, I think, to strike between the thriller elements, which I think he did really well here, mm -hmm. but then also keeping the world sensible, which you yeah. and I, I guess, both have seen him faltering on in this one. Uh, but then also keeping the characters front and center, which for the most part, I mean, again, with the kids, them essentially having to step up, grow up, I felt it did well this time because it took a step back. Like Emily Blunt wasn't as prominent in this as I thought it would, as I thought she would be. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first film was really about the parenthood aspect, trying to protect your kids in a world like this. And then this one was seeing your kids have to grow up in a world like this and see them step up and take on these new responsibilities. Yeah. So what the third film will be in terms of the characters itself Mm, the I'm family dynamic. Yeah, I'm wondering how they're going to relate that. Um, but I'm excited to see it. I really mm. am hoping that part three yeah. will be John Krasinski, certainly with the direction. Um, but I also like to see his particular, um, his direction for the writing, where he wants to end up taking this world and leave us off at. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. How about you? Uh, I'll go see it. <laughs> Okay? It's just the way they the way they ended a quiet place too. I'm not super excited for a quiet place three. I just I can't see it being anything more than uh the Emily Blunt and Noah Jupe and the baby are separated from the other people and they have to get there and there's obstacles. And yeah, that's I exactly hope, what this one was. I hope it's not that. I hope the whole film isn't them trying to get back together and then obstacles yeah. separate them. I hope they just get back together and then it's them going off through the world and trying to again like put the pieces back together and restart a real life um i hope it's something like that as opposed to they're separated the yeah. entire way and then it's them trying to get back together that would be a little that would annoy me yeah it'd be just silly if if that's because that's exactly what the second one was is that trying to get from point a to point b and there's obstacles in the way but the obstacles aren't super like artistically written it's just obstacles they're just in the way and I don't know. I feel like if they did it again for part three, I would I would be really upset. I hope they blow me away. I hope I'm surprised. 
but it just seems like that's where they're going with it is you've set up uh, a sequel where they're separated and they have to come together like that's all it has to be and i don't know what else they could really do other than more world building in a, in a better way like that's just how they could improve it is building the world out better i suppose giving us actual maybe human villains because they don't really do a lot of human villains even the marina man was in it for like two minutes and i guess you could consider him a human villain but not even really but they don't have a lot of like human person villains it's just people versus monsters which you can do but i I don't know now that you've given them a way to kill the monsters pretty easily you should probably throw in a human villain that's a little harder to beat than how these monsters are because now they're easy to kill especially with that broadcasting on a radio signal right easy Mm -hmm. all right so what would be your rating out of five what should we put hearing aids i was gonna say hearing aids yeah (laughs) out of five hearing aids how many are you slapping onto a microphone very very dramatically i'll give three three hearing aids that i'm smacking onto a microphone really dramatically (laughs) i will give 3.5 out of five Mm -hmm. because i liked it a bit more than you but a lot of the same gripes you had i agree with just i don't know i don't know if the last of us parallel for me was as jarring or unforgivable as it seemed to be for you but i still enjoyed it it was a fun experience aside from the two times where somebody said oh gosh during the complete silent moments in the theater oh yeah gotta love being back with an audience but overall it was it was amazing being back yeah so that experience i think elevates the room as well I it was definitely better watching the theaters with the sound quality of it. Mm-hmm. Definitely better that way. Or just sure. real quick, what would you have rated the first movie out of oh, I, five I, red lights? Five red lights? I can't bloody remember that well. I mean, I'd want to say, I'm just going to say a four. Mm-hmm. or But again, I'd need to see it again. But I did enjoy it that first time. And it wasn't as spooky as I was thinking it was going to be. Which, which is also for yeah good for me that... It wasn't because yeah, I can handle things like this that are more driven on suspense. There are those jump scares, but it's more about the tension you feel. Mm-hmm. And I can appreciate that both as someone who doesn't like getting scared and also as a filmmaker and knowing that that's really mm-hmm. more exciting, I think, overall and more impactful. So I don't know, I'll just throw out a four, but can't. Yeah give a final answer until I see it again. What about you? I would have given the first one a 4.5 because I was thinking about it and that is a steep drop from a 4.5 to a three for my personal ratings. Mm-hmm. So it is, that's, that's probably why it's so disappointing to watch the movie. It was just such a steep drop for me. I hold the first one in such high regard. It was written well, it was performed well, it was directed amazingly. And so I was really excited to see this one and it just did not perform to my expectations, I guess. Maybe if like, this was a standalone movie because you could watch this movie as a standalone movie, except for the part that like John Krasinski dies and you don't know because you didn't, we weren't there for that part, but hypothetically you could watch this as a standalone movie. And if you did, it would, I think it would be better because you just don't have that first movie's bravado standing over your shoulders as you're watching this, but it's, it's not going to change it that much for me. It would probably like raise it to a 3.5 if I'm going to be technical about it, but it's still not a great movie independent of the, the series. Gotcha. All right. That is our review of A Quiet Place Part 2.
Now on to the movie of the week. What's it going to be, Dylan? It's going to be Mud, which is a movie I haven't seen. So it's, this is all on you. But it is a movie I have seen, and it is directed and written by Jeff Nichols. Woo. So that'll be the person going on with the A Quiet Place spinoff, not part three. But mm. this film stars our main man, Matthew McConaughey. All it also right, has... Right. <laughs> always got to slip that in. It also has Ty Sheridan and Sam Shepard, who at the time were two child actors. In this film, we'll see Sam how Shepherd. much I can... Uh, wait, what? Sam Shepard's a grown-ass man. Oh, who's the kid then? Who's the uh, other kid? The other kid is... I just didn't put his name because he's not as notable as Ty Shepard. I probably should have anyway. Let me look it up. Tragic. And all right, it's Jacob Laughlin. Sam Shepard's uh, the grown-ass man in the movie. <laughs> you keep saying that. Is he the old man or is yes. he the father? Okay. I'm assuming he's the old man. I mean, he was old when he made it. He's the old, old man. He's yeah, from so the right stuff. There's, um, so this film, not going to go too deep into it, but it is a quaint little coming-of-age story. Ty Sheridan's the main character. Um, and it's essentially his journey seeing three different types of relationships play out, one of which is his parents who are going through a divorce, and it's slightly nasty. So, oh, they also live in this small Missouri town on the river. I believe it's Missouri, but one of the southern states. Um, and so their house is on the river, but because of the divorce, they're going to end up losing the house. Like someone's going to end up selling it. So he's not happy about that. He's also not happy about the divorce. So he has some angst there. Him and his buddy, Jacob Laughlin, if that was him, right? Mm-hmm. The other kid, they are doing what kids do. They're going around exploring things, and they come across this boat that is in a tree. And they say, that's really cool. Let's go up there, and let's make it our, essentially, tree house. So they do that, and then they come to find out somebody's living in that boat. And who is it? Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so they form this weird relationship with him because he's a weird dude and you come to find out he's on the run from the law because he killed his girlfriend's boyfriend or his like ex-girlfriend's boyfriend they're an on and off thing it's a very messy thing but the whole point there is that relationship is true devotion and true love from McConaughey to her um so Ty Sheridan is seeing that relationship and then he himself is also crushing on some older high school girl, a couple of years older than him. And so that's his first foray into young love. So it's these, it's built around these three different relationships and him navigating them. And I think it's a really solid film, a great coming of age story. You should see it as soon as you can, Dylan. I think it's on Netflix. I will watch it, yeah. But yeah I'll I mean, check it out. McConaughey is really good in it. He offers a suitably wacky performance, um, but it is really powerful. Uh, and then Ty Sheridan's also really good in that. Mm. I think that's probably because I've seen Ready Player One and remember he had that Voyagers film out recently. It didn't seem like either of those were as good as what he did in this film. Yeah. Um, so. I think it's a lovely little film. Jeff Nichols did a great job with it. 
he hasn't had too many successes afterwards. And I think this is even an underrated film that isn't talked about a lot. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think it's beautiful. You should go see it. Mud. Yeah, I'll check it out. It sounds fun. I love some Maddie McConaughey. Some good old, <laughs> good old Maddie. And I'll check it out. Anyway, that's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back next week.